You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, church. Happy, happy Trinity Sunday. This is the feast of the Holy Trinity. This, we got a lot of work to do today, guys. So I hope you didn't come just expecting to sit back and relax. This is like the worst place to come and do that. Um, in fact, we, we've got to lean forward a little bit and pay attention. What we're going to do this morning is kind of peer into, get ready for this, the very nature of God. Yeah, we got to get to work, right? So that's what's happening this week. It's, let's back up a little bit, though. What we're celebrating today, it comes in a, a, a kind of a long stream of some serious partying that we've been doing. You remember two weeks back, what was it? Two weeks. Two weeks, come on. Ascension, there we go. So when Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, ascends to sit at the right hand of God the Father, controlling the course of history and all the cosmos. Kind of a big deal, right? And then what was last Sunday? Pentecost. Remember, read the Spirit of God. God's Spirit himself came and poured out on his apostles. Remember kids lighting their hair on fire a little bit? They had the flame over their heads, started speaking in tongues. And then this week, this week, we're not letting up at all. This is the mystery, the great mystery of the Holy Trinity that we're looking at this week. What an intense season. I feel for you guys. But we're, and we're almost into ordinary time where we can kind of take a deep breath and like grow and like wander around with Jesus and hear parables and all that kind of cool stuff. But now, we can't let up now. This is Holy Trinity, so let's lean in. If you've been around the church at all, the word Trinity um, sounds familiar. If you have no church background, if you're here, this is like your first time maybe. We're, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm pumped that you're here. Welcome. Trinity may be an unfamiliar term for you, um, and we get that, and we're going to talk about it. But when we say the term Trinity, just kind of a quick, uh, you know, notes on it, we're talking about God himself being triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but not three gods. Three persons, but one eternal and holy God. That's what we're looking at this morning. But have you ever wondered this sounds cool, like theology land kind of stuff. Like priests should talk about this. But do you and I, I mean, do the rest of us need to really know about this? Do we really care? Does it matter for the everyday lives when we go to work and we go home? Does the Trinity actually matter? Do we really need to believe this thing and be able to articulate it? How, is this just kind of religious jargon that the elite Christians, I mean, if you like really on your A game with following Jesus, you know the word Trinity. Is that, is that what this is about? Well, um, I don't think so, obviously. That's why we're talking about it today. But I want to tell you a story. I had um, the cable guy came over. I know you guys are familiar. When the internet goes down, you call the cable guy, come fix the internet. So the internet guy comes over, cable guy, super sweet guy. We're buddies now. We talk over email. We've been, we've been having this conversation now for, I think, over a month. He came, and we got talking. You know how it goes. And then there's that moment where he's like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a priest. And like, really? And you got kids? Yep. Um, I'm an Anglican priest. Uh, there's no scandal behind that. And so we talk. And he goes, oh, cool, man. I'm, I'm Jehovah's Witness. I'm like, awesome, awesome. Uh, this a Jehovah's Witness, if you're not familiar with that uh, religion at all, is, is, and it's very distinct from Christianity, and here's why. Because they don't believe in the Holy Trinity of God. There's, there's a few differences, but that's a major difference. They don't believe in the Holy Trinity. So he was asking me some really good questions we got talking, as you can imagine, while he's running the speed tests, you know, we're talking about the nature of God. He said, how can God be three and be one? Like logically, Sean. I'm like, oh, it's good. At the same time, is it really important that Jesus, God's own son, is divine, is God? Is, is that really necessary? Is that important? I would say so. Does it really matter 
I mean, does it really matter who the spirit of God is or what spirit this is? Can't this just be like positive thinking or like energy or something? Does it really matter that we have to be so particular? When I was in college, I had these questions asked to me by a fellow student. Um, I was studying computer engineering. It's a long story, but it was a different, different time in my life. And I was, but still, the Trinity was there, and I was uh, talking with a friend of mine, and we're in engineering building kind of land, you know, you can imagine. And he's like asking me the same questions. Why is it important that we believe in the Holy Trinity? Can you explain to me, Sean, why the Holy Trinity matters? Or is this just theology? And I found myself really actually could feel, have you ever had that moment when someone asks you a question and you're so embarrassed that you don't have a good answer for it, that your body starts to kind of shake, your blood pressure kind of goes up and you're like, man, this is, how long have I been a Christian? I can't explain this. Found myself just kind of rocked to the core at my friend's questions that I really couldn't answer. Shook me up. I didn't realize that um, understanding how God is three and one was so important in my own faith and how central it was to the Christian life. You might say if you're here, okay, look, I know that you're Christian, Sean. I hear all these conversations that you're having with all these people. But isn't this kind of like blind men feeling an elephant? You know, like one person feels the ear, the tail. They all think it's different things. We all have different languages. Is it like that? I don't think so. Or maybe is it like um, uh, different people? Like you have a dad who's also an uncle and a brother. Is this just waves of talking about three different people? I've heard that before. Maybe the Holy Trinity, uh, let's just make it really plain and simple. It's like water. It can be a liquid. It can be a solid. It can be a gas. Maybe that's what the Holy Trinity's kind of like. You guys have heard that, right? You all heard this? Maybe like three notes in a chord. We're like pretty creative. We try to come up with these things. Does it all matter? Yeah, the three branches or like the four-leaf clover, the three-leaf whatever, you know. None of that is actually what Christians believe. And it actually matters, and we're going to talk about it this morning. If you uh, took any of those analogies and said, this is the way the nature of God runs, you would be stepping outside of Christian belief, definitively. This is called heresy land. That's a strong term, but that's essentially what it is. And people, much, much like really godly people, for a very long time have been articulating and defending the trinity of God as it is that we have, that you're going to hear in the Athanasian Creed. But is any of that important? There probably um, could not be a more important question than this in your life. Who is God, really? And what we're going to find is that our belief of God as triune is not some peripheral kind of optional thing that you can get into if you really like. But at the heart of it, we find if God is not triune, we are not saved. Salvation is actually at the center of the person of God. And if he is not three in one, we're not saved. Have you ever heard that before? That's how important the Trinity is. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So, church, here's the biggest question we ask. Who is God? What's his nature? That's what we're going to look at. What has he done? What does, what does God love? We want to get to know God that way. This is probably, perhaps, I would say, the most important question you'll ever ask in your life. Who is God? So as we consider the mystery of the Holy Trinity, we're going to find something, not just talk, not just jargon, not just theology, but we're going to find something really special. We're going to find that God is, this God that we're going to discover today and look at as the Trinity is already long at work in your lives bringing about salvation. Before you knew about God, while you were in your mother's womb, he was already at work to bring salvation in your life. That's the God that we're going to look at. 
And we're going to do that by starting in Romans 5. Um, there's some, some Bibles that you could pick up. If you don't have it, it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it for us in just a second. But we're going to jump into Romans chapter 5. It's always intimidating to jump into Romans because it's like very, very dense and wonderful and beautiful and you don't want to mess it up. But we're going to try, okay? So give me some slack here. I'm going to catch you up. So we're in chapter 5. We're going to look back. We're going to start kind of in chapter 1. I'm going to catch you up really briefly in Romans. This is a letter that St. Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And it gives us this beautiful tour of the gospel, okay? And the gospel is the good news that God is at work in a broken world with deeply, deeply, deeply sinful people, a deeply broken people who aren't aware that they even need a relationship with God, that they need his salvation, and yet God is still at work preparing it for them. And yet, even still, some of them, even when they find out about the salvation of God, continue, and this is what Paul's talking about, continue to work against the good purposes of God, even though they know. But, and this is a beautiful turn, we're talking like chapters 3, 4, God's grace, even when we know about his saving plan for us, and we've still worked against his good purposes, God's grace prevails over us. It has intervened, in fact. It has interrupted and has taken action on our behalf where we were still in sin, God interrupted with his grace. How did he do this? And this is where we start to get into the language of the Trinity. Through Jesus, his son, the gift of his own son, whose sacrifice set us right with God. This is the gospel, folks. If you've never heard this, this is the gospel. This is what Christians are so excited about is that while we were still in sin, Christ died for us and set us right with God. Even more, it gets better. Check this out. You thought that was awesome. It gets better. Even more. Now what is said of Jesus, his righteousness, his goodness, his beauty, his truth, all of those things are now said of us when we are in Christ. Check that out. Wow, how can that be? That's really good news. It's said of us when we put our faith in, or that's language to say embrace and believe fully in the one who brought him back from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead by God himself. And in putting our faith in that, we are made clean. We are made right with God when we put our faith in Jesus. That's the gospel message. So when Paul picks this up, this is what's happening in chapters 1 through 4. When he comes up to chapter 5, he unloads the truth about how the Holy Trinity saved your life and continues to save your life day after day after day. This is what Paul's doing. Can I read this for you? It's verse 1 in chapter 5. I'm going to read through verse 5. Therefore, he said, since we are justified by faith, with all of that in view, by the way, when you hear therefore in Scripture, There's like a, you're jumping midstream into a conversation. So that's why I caught you up. Therefore, all of that, okay, the gospel, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our own hope of sharing the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that is given to us. You hear the Trinity in that? You can hear it, right? This very verdict, this verdict that God has declared over us, when you put your faith in Jesus, is the reality of God's grace poured out on our lives. It's, it's like him saying this, it's been settled. When you put your faith in Jesus, I have a verdict. I'm going to say something and it is true. 
When you put your faith in Jesus, what is true is that my grace covers you. And now you stand right with God and empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening. And that's what we read in, just, in these first five verses. What an incredible love. Think about this. Do we deserve this? This is just over the top, unfathomable grace of God. Who are we? Like the psalmist says, that he would even take, take notice of us. Who are we? And yet God lavishes his love on us, undeserving. I certainly am very, very undeserving of this love, this grace. Us undeserved people, us broken people, us lost people, God has found us and poured out his grace on us in the person of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Wait, Sean. Okay, let me pause. We're talking about the gospel right now, right? Aren't we supposed to be talking about the Holy Trinity? Isn't this what this is all about? Right? You guys tracking with me? Anybody catching me? I'm like going off into the weeds. Whenever you're going off into the weeds and it's the gospel, it's probably okay. But no, we're actually not going off into the weeds. When we peer into, when we step back and go, God, who are you? And we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we peer into the very mystery and the nature of God, we cannot help but see the gospel. Why is that? Why is it that when we looked to God, we see his action on our behalf? We see his love pointed to us and given to us freely. We see the unfolding of the gospel. We don't see an angry man upstairs throwing down, uh, you know, thunderbolts or whatever. We see God's love poured out for us. We see the gospel. And it had to be this way. It is necessary. This is just what's true. I was visiting with Bill Fulton, who's still not with us this morning. You guys keep him in prayer. He's recovering. I was visiting with him in the hospital a few weeks back, and he can, Bill is the kind of guy, I just want to be like him when I grow up, but he cannot hold himself back when he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. You bring that up in a conversation, you watch. He like sits up, and all of a sudden, he, let's go. Let's do this. Let's talk about this. He is so animated about it. I love that about him. A while back, so we're talking about this. He said this to me, and I want to share it with you. Because um, I'm talking about, is it necessary that when we look into the nature of God, we see the gospel poured out to us? Does it have to be this way? This is Bill's answer. Sean, if Jesus isn't fully God, there would be no power in his sacrifice for all of creation, for all of humanity. And he's right, isn't he? If Jesus is just some other poor guy, there's no power in his sacrifice. The gospel doesn't actually reach us. There's no good news. Jesus really hasn't taken on human nature, then humanity has not been saved, has not been redeemed. God has not been doing work in humanity if Jesus himself is not human. I think the person who says it best, and it's a little dense, but it's the same thought, is St. Gregory of Nazianzus. He wrote this, one of the church fathers. He said, that which God has not assumed or taken on, he has not healed. You catch that? That which God has not assumed, he has not healed. But that which is united to his Godhead is also saved. It's so necessary that Jesus was not only God, but fully human. He assumed humanity and reunited it to the Godhead. It's necessary. In Jesus, humanity on one hand and divine on the other is reconciled in one person. And there's only one person who could reconcile it. It has to be Jesus. It's only him. Can you see the necessity of this? And so we start to see in the person of Jesus, okay, this is getting a little complicated. We have God the Father, yes, but we also have God the Son in Jesus who is fully God and fully man, and it had to be this way. If it isn't this way, in fact, we are not saved. Are you tracking with me, guys? You following me? It had to be this way for us to be saved. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bringing about salvation. Nobody other than the living and triune God in his nature, like this, has the power to save us and all of creation. None other than this God, man, Jesus, could rescue all of humanity. Only the Spirit that gave you life can continue even to sustain the life that you have now in Jesus. And yet, so we have, you see the Godhead working here, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And yet, we do not have three gods. We are monotheistic. We believe in one God. We have three persons of the Trinity, and yet one God. Not three lords even, but one Lord. Not created even, but eternal. Not dead, praise God, but alive and living Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working the redemption of all of us for our sake. You, you following? So it doesn't matter that Jesus is divine. Can you see how it matters that if Jesus is not divine, we are not saved? If the Spirit is not given, we are not sustained? Do you see how important this is? This matters. This is why people put their lives on the line for this. At the heart of the mystery of the Holy Trinity, friends, we see the gospel. And in the very being of God himself, this is what I cannot, I still can't wrap my head around. We see this unfathomable concern that God has for us. He has love for us that we can't even wrap our heads around. We, you, get this, are the object of God's love. This triune God. When we look to him, his work, the God who is, the one who's actually there and true and alive and holy, this triune God, we realize that we're not just doing theology, but God is actually staring right back at us. His gaze, his loving gaze has surprised us. When we look into him, we find him looking back to us saying, I love you. Who I am has been given for you, that you would be saved. The psalmist, we prayed this this morning in chapter 8. He says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are humans that you would be mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. Who are we? That this holy and triune God who has been working salvation for all of eternity, that he would be mindful of us, us human beings. Hidden in the very character of this triune God, there's love. Self-sacrificing, self-giving, non-selfish, not the way you and I do love. Actually, a kind of a love that would make us feel uncomfortable because it's so freely given. It's not manipulative, it's not coercive, it's not punishing, it's just freely giving, lavished grace of God, selfless kind of love. St. John, in uh, 1 John 4, he says, God is love. Have you heard that before? What a great bumper sticker. But when you don't really like actually consider what he's talking about this and the implications of it, um, you totally miss the beauty of this. Wondering about the Trinity must lead us to this epiphany about who God is. Who is God? Yes, it's important that we say he is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But when John is saying God is love, we're actually talking about the internal workings of this Holy Trinity, how it, how it relates to one another. In his very being is love. The stuffness of God in his being is love. By sending his only Son and the Spirit of love in the fullness of time, God has revealed to regular people like you and I his innermost secret. We get a peek into his nature. God himself 
is, listen to this, an eternal, eternal exchange of this love, of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's where we come in. And he has destined each one of us not to just look at God, but to share in that exchange of love, to participate in it, to be a part of it. As C.S. Lewis says, to pass into it, to bathe in it, to become a part of it, not just watch it from afar. Friends, if you're here this morning and you've watched God from afar and you know about God, it's not the same as actually participating in his life, passing through the love he's giving to us, cooperating with him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to just look from afar. He wants you to come close. Stop believing in a God that wants you to look from afar and know about him because that God does not exist. You believe in an idol. The God that exists, the God that is in himself, Holy Trinity, is wanting you in, inviting you in to his love, the love that he has for you. So how do we uh, apply some of this stuff? What does this mean? What does Holy Trinity kind of Sunday give to us practically that we can practice in everyday life? I want to just share from a few of my experiences that I think are pretty helpful. Um, I came from a tradition, a Christian tradition. I, I mean, non-denom kind of world. I was raised Methodist. I'm like a mutt of, I've got it all going on church tradition-wise. But one of the things I noticed when I grew up is that I would pray in the name of Jesus. And that's wonderful and awesome. And we ought to pray in the name of Jesus. But one thing that got left kind of on the side is that I didn't pray in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I didn't know I could, actually. Coming into the Anglican tradition, it's not just Anglicans, but it's actually just Christianity. Christians pray in the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit on purpose. And you'll notice that we do that throughout the service. I want to invite you. Um, I, I'm not saying never pray in the name of Jesus. Pray in the name of Jesus. There's power in that name and only his name. But when you're addressing God, it actually shapes your view of God and how you relate to him. And if you're only relating to Jesus, you're not relating to the fullness of who God is. So I encourage you, inspect the way, the words that are coming out of your mouth when you pray. Listen to yourself and ask, what do I really believe about God? Do I believe that he wants me to stare at him from afar? Or do I believe that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and at work in my life? So you can pray in the name of the Trinity and it'll shape your belief. Another thing that we're going to do right after I sit down, after a moment of silence, we're going to confess the Athanasian Creed. It's a super long creed and it goes through all of these nitty-gritty details. And I know that some of you, and it's sometimes me too, going, man, do we really need to be confessing this creed? And I want to invite you, instead of being like suspicious or kind of put off, um, I, I invite you to just actually appreciate the detail that goes into this and this really important detail because what the fathers of the church were doing with this creed is defending the gospel as we know it by warding off all of these other rival claims that would come to say that Jesus is not really God or he's from a different substance or he's a different person or we have three lords, we have all these things, all of these rival concerns that would, that would uh, challenge the gospel, our, the church fathers have said not at all. No, let us be absolutely clear, excruciatingly clear about the gospel and the nature of God. So I want to invite you to confess this creed, not as something from afar, but as something as you as a Christian believe and even confess it prayerfully, noticing this great mystery of God. And the other thing I'll point out is we're going to say the word Catholic when we confess this creed. And we've said this even in our Nicene creeds. What do we mean by Catholic? We are not Roman Catholic. We love Roman Catholics. They're awesome. I love those people. Love the Pope. Love all those guys. But what we mean by Catholic when we say this, and you'll see it's lower C, is actually according to the whole. We want the whole faith. We don't want just the Jesus faith. We don't want just the Holy Spirit faith. We don't want just the God the Father faith. We want the fullness, the Catholic faith. So you'll see that word. That's what we mean by that. Friends, this morning, as we enter into even more fully, maybe for the first time, into the nature of God and who he is, I want you to see his love for you, given freely. And don't just see it from afar. 
but actually get up off of your seat, come to the center aisle, and enter into this eternal exchange of love that he has for you even this morning. You can respond. If you've never responded to the gospel, this news of what God is doing to redeem and save all of creation, it's for you to respond. One way you can do that is coming up with everybody else. And if you're not baptized, you'll come up, put your hands over your chest like this. And just tell us, I, I want to I put my faith in this God, this triune God, and we'll pray with you. So I want to invite you to do that as well. Folks, let's embrace and believe freshly again. Our faith in the God who lives. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who declares you righteous, who declares you righteous, made right as an act of grace-filled and overflowing love for you. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.